Hey podcast listeners, Mike Rappin, host of the I Read Comic Books podcast here. I know we've been harping on this, but if you haven't taken it already, please fill out our listener survey at ircb.us slash survey. This is the best way to give us direct feedback about the show and help shape I Read Comic Books moving forward. So if you have a minute, please head over to ircb.us slash survey. Now on to the show. This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin. With me this week are two amazing people, Paul Jaisley. Hello. And Nick White. Hey. How have you both been? How have comic books been? I know Paul and I drank a bit too much last night to celebrate <laughs> Halloween, so I apologize for that if we sound hungover in the slightest. I don't know if you can sound hungover, but how have you guys been? <laughs> What's been up? Um, I'm gonna, I'll kick it over to you, Paul. Oh, thanks, Mike. Um, I think I, I was telling you this before we hit record, but honestly, comic books have been stressing me out lately. I have been having all sorts of anxiety about how far behind I am on my oh, monthly no. like single issues. So it was a thing where you know I fell behind a couple weeks, and then I went to the store before I went on vacation, and I brought all these books with me on vacation. I'm like, oh, I have all this free time to read. And I never touched them. You know, of course, I didn't read any of them. So I've been playing catch up. Yeah. So I'm a couple weeks behind there and I haven't been in the shop in a week. So everything I've read this week is maybe like a month old at this point. <laughs> but, gotcha. Where'd uh, you go on vacation? Just to, to tangent really quickly. <laughs> sure. I was in We Gal- don't care about Paul's no. personal life, just comics. Just <laughs> <laughs> I was in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. I went to Dollywood, the Dolly Parton theme park and amusement oh, nice. park in Tennessee. <laughs> And I'll uh, I'll just put That's this. Awesome. It, it, it was, was great. This your idea, if if you don't mind me asking. I mean, if it was, I'm I'm, I'm just totally curious where the like what like what what you know start what kicked that off. Oh sure, know, tell me. My girlfriend had been there a couple times over the past few years, and she really loved it. Um, and then of course, I'm how could you not want to go to a Dolly Parton themed amusement park? That sounds awesome. So. <laughs> And I'll tell you, hey, sure. uh, look, one last point: the the roller coasters at Dollywood are legit. I mean, these aren't some <laughs> fake ass, you know, wimpy kids rides. There's some real good roller coasters in Dollywood, so check it out. That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> um, so anyway, comic books. Um, yeah, yeah. The few is there uh, a picture of you riding any of these? Like, did you did you get one of the pictures <laughs> of? Like, Nick's very interested in this. I want hey, if this I, on if the I, official I, Twitter page, like Paul Jaisley, you know, arms up in the air riding a Dollywood roller coaster. I'll see. I think. Uh, I'll see if there's one. I know there's a picture okay. of me on Dolly Parton's tour bus, but uh, that might be the best I can do. Anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah, go for it. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> uh, a handful of comics I read and I wanted to talk about here with you guys, um, one of which was Archie Meets the Ramones. Uh, if you know anything about me, you know that I love the Ramones even more than I love comic books. They're my favorite mm-hmm. band. They've been my favorite band since I was 15, so that's well over half of my life. Um, so this was like a perfect comic book to me. I mean, I already like Archie and it's, it's Archie hanging out with the Ramones in New York in 1976. It's perfect. Um, That's fantastic. Yeah. And I, I loved it because as a Ramones fan, there's just so many cool, like little references to their songs and they do a really good job, like paying homage to the band. It's not this sort of phoned in thing, like maybe Archie meets Kiss was, even though I like that too. Uh, this yeah. was really like a book that celebrated, uh, the Ramones and how important they were. So, I mean, this is the 40th anniversary of their first album coming out. So it's pretty cool to have this book. Um, I was very tempted to buy every variant cover, but uh, I just 
limited myself to one. So I got the one that's okay. The it's a the poster of Rock and Roll High School with Archie and uh, Betty and Veronica dancing in front of the Ramones. So um, even was if it, there yeah. was there a wasn't there a variant that Jaime Hernandez did? Uh, or am gonna, I going crazy? No, no, no. Uh, he's going to do the variant for the second printing. So I will pick that up when it comes okay. out. So yeah, okay. I way ahead of you on that, Mike. Um, I was gonna say. I, I mean, I figured of all, all the people that to know, off, like, yeah. like no, nothing. <laughs> uh, but yeah, even if you don't like the Ramones, I, 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 I don't understand how you could be that sort of person. You have to re-examine <laughs> the choices you've made in life. But uh, I think you, anyone would get a kick out of this book. It's re- it's really fun and uh, enjoyable. Um, I'm uh, waiting for Archie meets Avenged Sevenfold. That's what I. <laughs> sure. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll sit that one out, but um, <laughs> Archie meets twenty one pilots. Twenty one pilots, oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> um, Nick, uh, I was going to ask you specifically: Did you read Superman number eight? Because I read Superman number eight, and I thought you would like it. Uh, yeah, I saw you mention that, and I totally meant to go look this up and figure out like the Darwin Cook relevancy of it. But uh, I'm not reading it. Remind me again: sure. um, Is Pat Gleason on Superman, or is Pat Gleason on Action? He's doing Superman, but actually, he doesn't draw issue eight. He co-writes it with um, uh, Peter Tomasi, but uh, Doug Monkey does the art for issue eight. And uh, oh, okay. the the whole issue is like an homage or tribute to Darwin Cook, and it's I won't spoil it, but it's it references his most popular DC story. Let me probably figure out what it is, but it's a really just sort of mm-hmm. nice, touching tribute. If you're familiar with Darwin Cook's work, um, it's not overly obvious. That's what it is. It kind of at I was the gonna end, say, like, yeah. like Monkey isn't an artist that I would say looks much like cook at all not at all not at all so yeah, yeah it's it's less a an homage maybe or just like a shout out to his mm-hmm. most famous you know dc story and i really enjoyed it it's totally a done in one standalone issue so if you're not reading superman you could probably just pick it up and enjoy it on its own it's not awesome. anything else so highly recommended um i read doom patrol number two i actually liked it even more than the first issue um oh, oh boy that means i'm not gonna like it at all <laughs> <That's> right <laughs> I just the Doom Patrol is so interesting to me because I mean the Grant Morrison version, I mean it, it became the definitive version of the Doom Patrol, but it was so definitive that in in the fact that it was radically different, so people that write the Doom Patrol now have to do this weird balancing act where they pay homage to the Grant Morrison version while at the same time trying to make it their own and unique and different. Um, mm-hmm. And so far they're doing a really good job with that. This issue is all about Larry Trainer or Negative Man, and uh, he went through such an amazing and radical transformation in the Grant Morrison run. I like that Gerard Way just sort of running with it and saying, yeah, all of that happened, but he's a new character in this, in this take. So I don't know. I, I'm still enjoying this book. So, um, in a somewhat uh, Halloween themed issue, I read, I read she wolf number four. This is the uh, rich Tommaso female werewolf book that the first few issues were kind of shaky on. It didn't really grab me, but this issue definitely clicked. Uh, of course, it's the end of the first volume, and it's going to be, won't be back until next year, but I really dug this issue a lot. Um, lots of uh, necromancy and uh, conjuring demons and stuff, fitting for today's episode, actually. So, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Gotham Academy, second semester number two. This is the second volume of Gotham Academy, and I just want to mention this book. I know I've talked about how much I like the series, but I really just want to give a shout out to the art team on this book because this is a lovely, lovely book, and it really, really looks unique and different from even a lot of other DC books. So let me grab the the uh, credits here. So the art we have pencils by Adam Archer, inks by Sandra Hope, and then there's background painting. There's a lot of painted backgrounds in this book, and they're credited to uh, Misayak or Miss Sazik. I can't don't know how to pronounce that. 
And then yeah, the, that's a weird name. Yeah, and then the colorist uh, Serge Lapointe. The colors on this book are so beautiful, and they sort of glow off the page. And I'm reading this in printed physical issues, and it's a makes me want to actually read the book on the iPad instead because I imagine the colors just pop that much more. So, yeah. I just want to mention the artwork on that. And then I've been filling in the gaps in my free time by reading old issues of Luke Cage, Hero for Hire, the original 1972 series by Archie Goodwin and George Tuska. Awesome stuff. Um, I kind of fell off the show, but uh, I'm enjoying these comics uh, better than I enjoyed the the, uh, Netflix series so far. But. Oh, that's them's, me. them's fighting words. I, I like I, I like the show, but this kind of like is scratching the itch more for me, I guess. So, anyway, okay, Nick, Nick, Nick what did you read this week? Uh, I, I actually read quite a bit. It's it's all over the board. Most so of it's you better not. just just fly through it then, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, it's it's all over the board, and honestly, I'm I'm with Paul. Like I'm behind, and I honestly feel like for the most part, I blame just DC double ship. Like mm-hmm. when when sure. DC was once a month, maybe I'd fall behind by like an issue. Maybe if I was quote unquote really behind i'd fall behind like two issues but now when i'm behind it's like i'm on a completely different arc than the book is on (laughs) Mm -hmm. um and i've sort of got my hands tied on batman anyway because um uh kate has parts two and three of monster men uh waiting to uh be delivered um and so until i get those i really can't get any further in batman but that being said i did read some other things I picked up Black Jack Ketchum, one through four. That's from Image. It's written by Brian Shermer. It's drawn by Claudia Balboni. Um, it was in a sale uh, on Comixology. Uh, and it's it's one of those books that it's really hard to sell effectively, and it's really hard to explain and summarize effectively without really ruining too much of it. And I do say ruin, um, but I will really quickly try to dance around this right here <laughs> sure um, and I, I i do say try um it's sort of a western and you have a character named tom ketchum who is confronted in a saloon um and is accused of being one blackjack ketchum who is a renowned um robber criminal bandit highwayman whatever term you want to use uh, and so it starts out with a case of mistaken identity, but it quickly evolves into a weird sort of metatextual bizarreness that spans space and time and uh, literary theory. And what? <laughs> I- I'm serious. And I would say the closest thing I would maybe get to this might be something close to Twin Peaks. Things are mm-hmm. weird. Things will not make sense at first. Things won't make sense later. Things won't make sense even further down the road. But at the end, <laughs> oh, things will kind of make sense, but not conclusively enough that you feel happy about it and you can go to bed asleep and sleep, you know, knowing you get it. Um, but I would say get this. It's only four issues. That's it. Four and done. It's fantastic. Beyond that, I think one of my bigger surprises for the week was I read King's Watch Volume 1. Um, that's written by Jeff Parker. It's drawn by Mark Lamming. Uh, it is for Dynamite, and uh, at first glance, it kind of looks like Dynamite saying, "Hey, uh, we're a developer that's developer. We're a publisher that's largely known for legacy characters, aka Phantom, um, Jungle Jim, um, Mandrake, Mandrake. Mm-hmm. I think it's Man- the Mandrake the Magician, yeah, yeah, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Flash Gordon, of course. I don't know why that didn't immediately come to mind. Let's just throw these guys together because we have nothing better to do. And team books sell well, great. Right? And and right. offhand, that's sort of like the really snarky take on it. 
Um, but Jeff Parker just knows how to embody these characters so well and bring them to life and sort of modernize them without really changing the core of who they were in their era. And it's it's a really, really fun team-up. Uh, you get all of the villains sort of coming together as well. Uh, it's really well drawn. And I will say the one shocking thing about this book is it actually does um, pull some punches and uh, develop some actual <laughs> pretty big changes to, to these characters, mm-hmm. um, which then stick around. Uh, later on, and I don't want to say any more on that front, but but I mean, kudos to Dynamite, honestly, kudos to that team. Uh, they actually really implemented some changes with a lot of characters that I think really were never going to get any sort of facelift lift ever. Um, I also That's read exciting. Batman. Yeah, oh yeah, I would say read it, read it. It's really really good. They're on yeah. King's Watch Volume Two right now. Um, yeah. Parker is doing such a great job over there, and I think the real tragedy is a lot of this is just going unnoticed, really. Mm-hmm. A lot of people still look at Dynamite and say, like, they're just sitting on, like, age-old readers and just making, you know, a little stack of money off of those guys. A um, few other quick things to go over. I read Batman Begins Rebirth number 1. Dan Jurgens' writing is kind of whatever. He's been around forever. Um, uh, it's it's okay. But uh, Ryan Sook's artwork on this is gorgeous. Mm. And if you aren't certain mm. if you remember Ryan Sook, he did all 52 covers for the new 52 Futures End weekly book. He did all 52, and they were fantastic. Great yep. artwork, yeah. great book. <laughs> um, probably one of the last things I want to briefly mention is I, I read Aliens Life and Death number one. This is the first issue of the third miniseries of the Life and Death <laughs> uh, event. I, can you call it an event? It's 17 books um, from Dark Horse of their alien stuff. Uh, this has got more tat on art and Dan Abnett writing. Um, I'm going to honestly have to read all these issues back to back now. It's getting so hard to keep track of all of the colonial marines in this book now and which ones are alive and which ones are dead, <laughs> honestly. Like, I think they tried to do everyone a service by, like, I mean, a credit to Dan Abnett. He even mentioned this in the notes. Like, he slowly and carefully developed, like, this whole squadron of guys so that it's not like, you know, some guy randomly dies in the 17th issue or something. And then, you know, you can you try to go look up and see if he was in issue four or five or whatever. And he's, you know, just some mysterious uh, red shirt from Star Trek who shows up only to be deceased. No, like, Abnett planned this out. So, like, all of these characters, if you go back, like, you'll see them. Some of them don't have, you know, quote-unquote speaking parts and whatnot, but they're in the background, right? So, I mean, it's a very comprehensive effort on his part, but unfortunately, it's only making me more confused and frustrated now. <laughs> um, so, I guess a pat on the back followed by a slap on the face to Dan Abnett. Um, <laughs> beyond that, I love Mortat's art on this book. I know some people are going to look at it and say Mortat's art does not belong on an alien book. It just does not fit. I'm okay with it. Everyone can just shut the hell up. Uh <laughs> <laughs> You only got to sit through three more issues, okay? Just three more, and it'll be on a different person, and just cool your jets, okay? All right. I said so. Mike, what did you read? (laughs) Oh, uh, I actually, I am a little bit behind. This past week has been pretty busy with a lot of stuff, Um, so I didn't have a chance to sit down and read too much, but I did managed to read Mike Seven read to Sabrina. Eternity. <laughs> I, hey, I did read Sabrina. I mean, that's what we're going to talk it. about today. Yeah. But I also read Seven to Eternity number two. 
Um, I am going to be the major champion for this book until it suddenly twists and then it becomes the bane of my existence. <laughs> um, inevitably. At least that's, I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop. But no, I actually read Deadly this cross, book. I, Deadly class crossover. Upcoming. Yeah, I'm, I, I am really liking this book. I really loved the history that we got in issue number two. I lo- I'm loving this moment in time happening very, 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 very slowly in what we like built up to in issue one. And it's kind of just taking like being drawn out in issue two and it's adding so much more suspense. So I'm really digging what Remender is doing. Opinion's art is top notch. I wrote a small review on the Comixology Tumblr for this. So I will put a link to that in the show notes. But yeah, this is this book is is really exciting. And I'm <laughs> I'm scared that I'm liking it so much. I don't want to get too invested because <laughs> it's going to break my heart. I know it. But I am still championing this book. I really like it. This this uh, is the one I think you said where what it's like where humans are the invaders of another planet instead of the usual. Or am no, I totally pulling this out of no no no, no totally different thing. It's like an alternate oh, dimension Fantastic. where there is this dying breed of I, I want to say magicians. They're like sorcerers. They're mages of some sort, and the there's this guy. He's the king of mud, or he's he's like, and he is. This person who has taken over the world and he has basically sought out to destroy these mages and you don't know why. There was a lot of questions after number one. We get some answers in number two and the reason we get some answers is because the the guy who's the main character of the story, he goes to the king and he's going to hear his word and I'm totally dist- like ruining what the actual <laughs> phrasing was, but that's like the whole premise of the book is that this guy is going to this king and he's going to hear his his offer and that's the mm. worst thing you can do as this magician person so it's, it's a really cool book it's <laughs> so crazy out there sci-fi i'm loving it i'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop that's all <laughs> um i read animosity number two i was kind of on the fence about this book and after some thinking and rereading of number one, I decided I wanted to try the second issue. And the second issue is really cool. This book is pretty interesting. It's a bit more interesting than what number one led on. And Margaret Bennett does some really funny kind of almost slapsticky pieces of humor in the background in this issue about these animals who now have the ability to think and like reason in the same capacity as humans. So we end up at one point in this like farmer's market <laughs> where like rabbits are selling their carrots <laughs> and stuff like that. I was going to say, it basically uh, creates like an endless world that you can just, it's just endless material more or less. Yeah, I mean, it's, kudos it's to really, her. Yeah, it's and it's the, really clever and I, I'm actually really enjoying it. So I'm, I'm going to keep reading this book. Hmm. Um, the One of the thing that I read this week, I read it thinking, oh, this will be quick and short. It's a Fantagraphics graphic novel and those <laughs> typically don't, you know, they aren't, too jam-packed with content. Instead, this book is like 180 pages of non-stop dialogue and <laughs> goofy, crazy, weird cat humor. So let me take a step back and explain what this book is. Wovable Oaf is a, a, a book written and drawn by Ed Luce. It is about this behemoth of a man whose name is just Oaf. And he goes by Wovable Oaf, but everyone calls him Oaf. And that's Wovable <laughs> as in, like, lovable, but with a W. Yeah. It's a Mike, whole thing. Mike's not, you're not having audio errors. Uh, listen, yeah. that is how it's pronounced. Yeah. And so he is this guy who makes dolls um, using oh, the hair boy. off of his body and as stuffing. And he sells them to 
a kid's store and people love these dolls like everyone like it's it's like an accepted thing everyone loves these dolls and he but he's also this this big um he's like this big like intimidating person who's got a giant beard and these buck teeth and he is gay and so he's constantly like throughout the beginning of the book or the first three quarters of the book you're seeing these awful first dates of his throughout the years like from the mid 90s up to modern day and they're all just like terrible things where he's too big and he crushes the guy that he was dating or he uh you know he's being told that he's too stupid or whatever and they're all just kind of like really sad but they're full of like little jokes about Morrissey and jokes about heavy metal and this guy's music taste and like he's wearing all these different types of clothing like of the time and he's got hairstyles of the time but when we meet Wovable Oath he's like bald and he's got this big beard and he kind of just looks like a big metal guy and he goes to this metal concert and he sees this dude on stage and he falls in love with him and he's like I must date this guy so through a series of goofy events he ends up on a date when this guy and the story goes on and there's a lot of just really funny incredibly explicit dialogue about like throughout the whole story and I found myself giggling a lot because I'm like not in this lifestyle of of metal and or being gay and like so I it was like a really like interesting look into like what would I get I guess would be the San Franciscan gay metal scene <laughs> so it was it was a really <laughs> funny book and meanwhile this guy he has all these cats he's got like 27 cats at his house and he has this one cat that's like scared and like he's oaf says that he has like mental problems but he's just like this demonic cat who one of the oaf's dolls speaks to and is like we must kill everyone what? um so like this book is all over the place and it's really funny and i i'm really glad that i picked it or like checked it out because I borrowed it on Comixology Unlimited mm-hmm. and it's it was such a fun little read um, on top of being like explicit in in some ways but like it felt very punk rock it felt very zany in a way it felt like it was a series of just small zine stories put together in a graphic novel mm-hmm. um, so it was it was really cool it was like very grassrootsy in a way but mm-hmm. uh, yeah I, I recommend it I'd recommend it to, to people that are willing to try something that's very much off the beaten path it's a, this it's, is on Comixology yeah. And this is on Comixology. It's on the. It's in Comixology Unlimited. If you have okay. that subscription, um, so it's really easy just to to jump in and read. It is incredibly long, though. It's a lot to read. It took me well over two hours to read it because there's just so much dialogue in the book. Um, the guided view helps a lot because the dialogue bubbles are kind of weird. So they don't flow naturally in like the way that your eye would follow it. So seeing the guided view helps a lot. Um, they're seeing it in guided view helps a lot because they do the direction for you to make sure that you're reading mm-hmm. things in order. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's, it's a weird old little book. I, I liked it a lot. This is one of those ones where I'm terrified that I go to look up this book and it's like not real. And it's like <laughs> one of those like beautiful mind moments where I realize Mike has just been plotting this whole thing <laughs> no, in his head. <laughs> no, no, this is, it's totally real. It's, it's, it's from Fantagraphics. It's, it's very good. I, I definitely recommend it. But it sounds great. I'm going to have to check it out. Yeah, yeah. no, I think it's really cool. Like, There's a lot of jokes about metal, and, and I don't know, if you're into that scene or you have at one point were in that scene kind of like I was when I was in college, Like, <laughs> it, was, it was really funny. Cool. Um, but let's move on. Comic books come out on November 2nd, 2016. What are you guys reading this week? What are you excited for? I'm going to kick it over to Nick. 
Well, uh, this week is actually a really, really light week for me. Um, I only have two books. I believe it's Green Arrow and Batman, and I'm still on the fence as to whether or not, until I get those issues from Kate, I'm just going to move on to the new Batman arc of I Am Suicide with Mikael Janine on art, or just, you know, keep holding down the fort and, you know, keep lying about, you know, or at least just keep feeling inadequate about being behind on Batman and, you know, have to fabricate reasons as to why. Um, but so that for that reason, uh, my pick is Green Arrow number 10. It's got uh, Ben Percy writing, Juan Ferreira on artwork. Uh, this is the beginning of a new arc, uh, this one being called uh, Murder on the Empire Express. And oh boy. Um, <laughs> it sounds like it involves like a terrorist attempt on Queen Industries' latest project, which is this trans-Pacific underwater like railway system. It, it sounds zany in so many different ways. I was going to say, um, it sounds to me like it's some old Western like bandits right. thing. Like, someone's <laughs> on the train and they killed the mayor, and we need to figure out who it is before the train stops, otherwise the train will explode. But they were <laughs> counting on the fact that Green Arrow is also stowed away on board. <laughs> <laughs> turn in next week. <laughs> tune yes, in next exactly. week. Exactly. Tune in and turn in next week. Um, yeah, so it sounds kind of goofy, but honestly, this book has been doing great. It really has just this great crowning achievement of managing to synthesize a lot of the uh, Lemire elements and a lot of the more serious elements from the New 52 that I think were uh, salvageable. Uh, and honestly, uh, what's, what I find really weird about this book is that unlike if you look at Batman or if you look at Wonder Woman, um, this book you aren't seeing as much of a it seems like a really well-scheduled or reasoned plan for alternating artists. Like with Batman, it seems like we're switching every arc. Uh, with Wonder Woman, we're switching between the dual narratives. And with Green Arrow, it actually seems to just be like issue to issue. It's going to be one of these three guys, and that's, you know, that's fine. Mm -hmm. um, and what I really like is that all three are still very vis visually distinctive art styles. It's not like one is really taking the lead and the other guys are sort of uh, copying it. Um, they're all very different. And yet I think they all really embody the tone of where this book is now. Um, the only real question for me with this book is one month from now, two months from now, six months from now, um, what is the art team going to look like on this book? Especially now that I believe it was, gosh, what was the most recent comic book convention? Maybe last week a week and a half ago. Um, whichever one it was, DC formally announced that this dual shipping thing um, will at least be continuing through 2017. I know that oh, will my not, Lord. That won't shock most people. It didn't shock me. I mean, clearly, look at the sales. Look how the model is working right now. Why, why not just work it until it works itself into the ground? Um, so it will be interesting to see how sustainable this is. And I know this is something I said half a year ago when Rebirth showed up, you know, let's see how this, how these artistic models, you know, are sustainable. So wait and see, but until then, let's just enjoy the book for what it is, right? Yeah. <laughs> Paul, what are you reading this week? Um, I am going to pick Superman number 10. I know I mentioned Superman number eight. I have yet to read Superman number nine, but I'm excited for Superman number 10. Um, one of my favorite things about the DC Rebirth is Superman is a really fun book. Like, it's a really exciting, action-packed, <laughs> just like fun book. And I'm just really enjoying it. So, yeah. uh, again, it's Peter Tomasi and uh, Patrick Gleason. Pat Gleason. Yeah, the great creative team. And... 
This issue sees the quote-unquote first meetup between the Super Sons. Uh, John, uh, Superman's son John is going to meet Damian Wayne for the first time, and I, I, I'm going to guess uh, that they won't get along, or there might be some uh, tension between the two. <laughs> Shit, um, no. Where way. did you hear this? Do you have like insider information? Like, hear me out. Been talking to? <laughs> just a feeling I have. I don't know. That's a wild just, accusation, but sure. <laughs> But uh, I, I just think it's kind of a fun... I love that sort of Silver age concept of the Super Sons, and they're kind of just rolling with it. And it fits this book really well, because I like that Gleason and Tomasi are making Superman a dad. And I think that's one of the criticisms people have of the character, is that he's too paternal or, you know, stodgy, you know, this sort of paternal figure. And they're sort of right. just le- leaning into that, saying, well, yeah, he is a paternal figure. And we get to see him be a dad and teach his son how to be a superhero. And it actually tells you a lot about Superman's personality. And that's actually a good thing. Him being a father and being a paternal figure is is good. It's not something to criticize him about. It's part of what makes him Superman. And I like that they're just running with that. And that's sort of the focus of the book. And uh, if you've read anything else by this creative team, I know that they had a long run on... Green Lantern Corps back in the day, and mm-hmm. they did the um, Batman and Robin. Batman and so Robin good. for the New Fifty Two. Yeah, yeah, they're a great team, and they just they have that way of finding the the uh, what makes the character interesting and like pinpointing it and just running with it. Um, if you're not a Superman fan, I would recommend checking this book out. I, I think it manages to be um, like a pun in somewhat intended action-packed but it's it's also just a very fun entertaining <laughs> book on top of that and again i'm someone who will always you know go on and on about how great superman is and how he's kind of misunderstood by a lot of people and what seems hokey about him is actually the best things about superman and this book sort of nails that for me so i'm excited for this issue can't wait to see um john and damien uh meet up yeah, I, I, I think when that book goes to trade, I'm going to be picking it up. Um, yeah. I think the, you know, I think what I really liked about Tomasi's run on Batman and Robin is that, you know, alongside Batman and Detective Comics and Batman the Dark Knight and all of these other books, you know, <laughs> where it becomes a question of what element of Batman can you actually bring to the table to distinguish yourself? Yeah. Um, I think it really turned into like the, the family side of Bruce Wayne or, you know, you know, newly being a dad, you know, that side yeah. of, of Bruce Wayne. And it really became a book of its own. So if this is anything like that, I'm 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 really excited. And uh in, in this situ- in this scenario is like Lois Lane still working for the Daily Planet. I know that this is technically the lowest from the other right. whatever universe thanks to convergence, right? Or what's so- the as far as I is, remember, is, is this kid like a latchkey kid? You know, with Superman <laughs> out saving the world and Lois. You know, as, what's what's the deal? As far as I remember, from again, I, I'm an issue behind at this point. But as far as I remember, she's not. They're not living in Metropolis. She oh. Lois works at the uh, the newspaper in uh, small town or wherever they are. So she just works for the local newspaper there. So it's not as like high demand of a job as. Uh, being a reporter for the Daily Planet. So. <laughs> right. That's right. Aren't they out on, on, on like a farm again in yep. this one? Yep. Okay. And it's, it's very much like a family, you know, they're just living the small town life, trying to uh, figure out how to, um, you know, how to deal with the pressures of uh, small town living and living on the farm while at the same time, you know, <laughs> He's he's Superman, <laughs> so it's kind of a fun. And you know, I got to mention, you know, I think this is one of the reasons I'm excited about this is that you know Tomasi's run on Babin and Robin, he was. Other than Grant Morrison, probably the person that 
had the best handle on Damian Wayne as a character. He really like yeah. was able to say like yeah this kid uh, he was trained by the League of Assassins. He's uh, can be a cold blooded killer, uh, but he's also just seven years old. And it's that weird dichotomy <laughs> of the character that he's also a real <laughs> dick. Yeah, he's also stuck up and <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it, yeah, I just I like that he nailed that character uh, maybe even better than Morrison did on his run. So yeah, Ooh, anyway, yeah. Wow. Well, yeah. maybe I'll read Superman too. Yes. Um, <laughs> my my pick this week is probably not unexpected by many, but it's Moon Knight number eight. Uh, this book is unstoppable. I love it. This this is another issue where we've got crossover between three different artists uh, with Fran- uh, with Frank Avia, Greg Smallwood, and Torres on art. Like this book is so cool. They they keep flashing between these different personalities of. Uh, Mark Spector, and it's so well done. Like in one one storyline, he's in mo- he's an actor or he's a producer, I should say. In another storyline, he is a cab driver and he's being framed for murder. Uh, and then in the other storyline, he's trying to fight or figure out what's happening with Conchu uh, or his god deity, whose name I can never pronounce. It's I, I can't even get over how well constructed this book is, and Lemire makes it work every single month. I I. I can't sell this book any harder you if you're not reading this that's a mistake this book is fantastic that's all i can say about it if i can convince you to read a superman book mike you're going to convince me to read a moon knight book so (laughs) it might be happening right now so yes all right you know i will start by picking up superman number eight and see how i (laughs) feel about it and then i'll go back if i like it all deal you know what what volume of moon knight is this this is the uh this is the latest 2016 released moon knight okay so if you look up Moon Knight 2016, like on Comicsology mm-hmm. or something, this will be the Lemire run. This right? is yeah, Got written it. by Jeff okay. Lemire with art initially by Greg Smallwood, and then mm-hmm. as the story progresses, they add in Torres and they add in Frank Gavia and Torres's art. Oh, right. and Stoko's art as well. Like it's oh, okay. all over the like they did an entire huh. run of. Or an entire story last issue about like Moon Knight fighting this demon in the sky, but it's like in the super future where they're on the moon and they're fighting <laughs> giant werewolf monsters in like in space fighters. Like it's so, crazy. Okay. okay, yeah, I'll read that. Okay, yes, <laughs> perfect, perfect. This is the book we find out is actually only going on in Minecraft. Yeah. <laughs> How fitting a Moon Knight book that's completely exactly you know, a figment of your imagination. I go to the last page, and it's a picture of me reading the book, looking at a picture of Mike reading the book, <laughs> yeah. looking at a picture of... This is my grand plan. For this week's episode, we are actually going to talk about a book that we are reading as part of the monthly book club in our Goodreads group. If you're not a part of the Goodreads group, um, every month we essentially find a graphic novel or we we have a vote on the first five graphic novels that people mention, and I think we're changing that format now. But nonetheless, we do a vote for books, and this month's vote was on Halloween Halloween books or scary books. And as a group, we chose to read The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, Volume 1 from Archie Comics, written by Roberto Aguare Sacasa, with art by Robert Hack and Jack Morelli. So for today's discussion, there will be full spoilers of this volume that contains issues one through five of The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. So if you haven't read that and you plan to and you don't want to be spoiled, you may want to stop listening as much as I hate to say that, but 
I just want to give you all a fair warning. So, Paul and Nick, I know I kind of threw this on you guys last minute <laughs> or within a week or so of this episode because we changed topics, but I figured it would be you know, a good thing to talk about, something that's Halloween-y since we are recording on the 30th and this will come out on the 2nd. So, as usual, we will be behind on things as far as this show is concerned. <laughs> but uh, what did you guys think of this book? I mean, I I had some preconceived notions at having read... Um, Afterlife with Archie, so I knew that, you know, Roberto or Aguari Sacasa could go pretty dark, mm-hmm. but uh, I didn't think it was going to go as dark as this book went. What about you guys? <laughs> I got to agree with you, Mike. Um, I remember I really enjoyed uh, Afterlife with Archie. Uh, I still enjoy it whenever it comes out, you know, the few times a year. Yeah, once every six to eight months. <laughs> <laughs> once in but, a blue moon. I mean, Frankavilla uh, did say that he's wrapping up his arc or just wrapped up his arc on Moon Knight, so he will be back to dedicating back. time okay. to this, to Afterlife yeah. with Archie, which is exciting. But anyway, yeah. sorry. But I remember uh, when they announced the Sabrina book, I was very enthused, and then I saw a couple of preview pages, and the art just didn't work for me, so I never actually picked it up. But I'm really glad we, we read it for this group because I really liked it. It was... I, it it was far different than I expected. Like you mentioned, uh, you know, Sabrina is, you know, one of these sort of hokier characters from Archie, the teenage witch, and I'm sure, sure. we're all of the same age where we remember the TV show. Yeah, um, Melissa Joan Hart, and she Melissa rocked it. Uh, yeah. Yes, um, <laughs> and this is nothing like that. And what's great is that, like Afterlife with Archie, which could be a very silly premise, admittedly, zombies in Riverdale is a very silly premise, but. Um, I like the creators just lean into it and say, we're going to take this seriously. This, I mean, Afterlife with Archie is a zombie book and this is a witch satanic book. And it's, 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 there's some, you know, tongue in cheek stuff in it, but overall it's a very serious, straightforward take on this, this concept. And I really liked it because of that. Yeah. I, I think one of the more interesting elements here is that with Afterlife with Archie, it's like, okay, so you've got Archie and we're going to add zombies. And so there's just this little bit of like an additive principle where it's like, what if guys, but with this Sabrina (laughs) thing, it's like, dude, she's, she's fucking already a witch. Okay. Like (laughs) we're not coming in and introducing a weird element here. She's already a witch. Yeah. (laughs) And she's going to do quote unquote real witch things. And not like, oh, you know, you made her dress a different color. That's so weird. You know, it's like dark <laughs> shit yes. in this book. And um, and I, I think that I like that. I like that it wasn't like a huge shift. That's not a knock against Afterlife with Archie. I think that's still a great premise. Yeah. Um, I was a little thrown back in the introduction, which I assume both of you read, where the, the author was like, well, if Afterlife with Archie was like a love letter to Swamp Thing. And I was like... Um, I mean, so okay, I sure. That. I'm with I you. I'll just, yeah. I, I can kind of. And then he's like, "Then this is this is my love letter to Sandman." And I'm like, "Um, okay. okay. I st- I still don't know, having finished the book, if I can really understand that idea. <laughs> um, I think he should have just said like." I'm going to write a good book. Here it is. And just make that the introduction because <laughs> sure. I think, you know, sure. uh, you know, name dropping amongst all these giants, who knows? Anyway, um, yeah, I, I was like Afterlife with Archie. I was pretty taken aback by how far this book went. I think this book actually is even darker. And, oh, um, by far. I love, yeah, yes, and like yes. I love how like right off the bat you're like, huh? Like I wonder how dark this book is going to get. And then it's like flashback to Halloween 1951, home of Edward Theodore Spellman. And I'm like settling in. I'm like, okay, this must be your dad or something like that. Sure. Like, I I understand what's going on. 
and you know to to quote you know the wizard of oz you know are you are you a good witch and i'm like oh this guy must be a good witch (laughs) and then he's and they're and they're like describing him on like page one and it's like this guy theodore edward theodore spellman who has conjured his lord satan in the living flesh numerous times and i'm like Oh yeah. See, and that's okay. The thing that like totally rocked my my brain going sure. into this. Page one, they're like, "We're gonna summon Satan." By the way, like that's Page just one. a regular thing in this. This guy book. summons yeah. Satan all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and, well, and and back with, off. Like you with noobs. that, like they when their descriptions of a lot of things, you know, they they talk about the weird woods. They talk about all these things that I only have like very very little knowledge of um, mm-hmm. about like witch lore and stuff. Which I, I'm sure that if I read the book Witches, I would probably have a better understanding. But they talk about like all this spooky stuff that's really revolved around like um, like arcane magic of the woods and like natural magic and like doing spells and like sacrifices and shit and it's it it's really really like trying to remind you like these are witches. This isn't like yeah, these are I'm gonna witches with a, twinkle you know, my nose w. and something's yeah. gonna happen. It's like no, we have to have a blood sacrifice and yeah. a ritual and you have to say the words the right way, otherwise something really bad will happen. And that's <laughs> this, this like, is so not cool. bewitched, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I mean on top of that, like you you know, going through this series, like I especially loved was it like issue one or I think it was issue two maybe, where they actually go through the the steps of doing a, a spell and how they had yeah. to get, you know, they had to get honey and they had to thank the bees and they put this thing in, you get a picture of Harvey, you put it inside of a jar and then you whisper an incantation and if he's not sweet on you by the end, then like it was never meant to be. Like that was the coolest part of that whole issue. <laughs> they actually went through the steps to do it and I, I remember I was reading it in guided view and then I stepped I back you, to look at the work, pages. Mike. It doesn't. <laughs> yeah. <it> doesn't. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm kidding. I really love the way that they laid out the pages for those spells. Like it was just four mm-hmm. blocks on a page for two pages in a row. And it really, really worked. Like it totally sold this idea of them putting time and effort into this spell in order to make something happen. And that's something you see frequently throughout the book that all the spells or anything that needs to happen requires a lot of work in order mm-hmm. to get something done. And I, I thought that was really cool. Like the magic part of this book is very minimal, but I do love the amount of attention to detail they paid to it. Yeah, yeah. It feels, you know, much like Afterlife with Archie, they really kind of lean into and explore the, the, mechanics of a zombie outbreak you know it's a very like sober like this would actually happen this book it kind of does the same thing where it's like this is actually what witches do and yeah it's jarring at first but i like the way that it mimics the sort of tone of the horror comics of the 60s and 70s sure you know um so if you read afterlife with archie and issues they have the backups in every issue where it's like they reprint an old issue of like creepy or, you know, Archie, a horror comic that Archie published back in the fifties or whatever. Yeah. Real old pulp stuff. Yeah. yeah. And this, this book sort of mimics that and it does a really good job of that. I mean that the, the main villain, I guess of the book of Madam Satan is an old character. (laughs) (laughs) And the fact that she's called Madam Satan and she has skulls for eyeballs. I mean, that's at first you're reading, it's really jarring. Then you remember like, Oh, this is an established character. I mean, this is something that was published way back when. And I like that we're getting a sort of, I don't want to say grim and gritty because it's terms overused, but sort of a modern take on those type of horror comics. And, even the artwork, which I found off-putting at first, grew on me because I can see that's what they're doing. They're actually mimicking that sort of monochromatic style of those old creepy and eerie 
comics from the 50s. So, right. yeah, I think it's a nice update of those types of stories, which is stuff that I'm not super familiar with. So this was a nice, uh, something I wouldn't normally read, and I'm glad we did it. So, But what I think is extra effective about this book is that it it definitely isn't what I would call like a grim and gritty realistic take. And I think right. that would have been the easy way out. And I think it could have been a real just shoe-in, phone-in performance uh, on the team's part. But what I really like about this book is that it really tries to not forget the fact that, yeah, it's based on an Archie character. It's like the 60s. Um, You know, things aren't, you know, people aren't like swearing left and right or, you know, all this like tense, dramatic dialogue and everything. It's very much like... You know, we're just, it honestly feels like in a lot of ways, certain like elements between Sabrina and the ants, it felt like you were watching like an episode of I Dream of Genie or whatever, you know, sure. the way that everyone was just sort of talking and, and back and forth. But the things that they're talking about are so, you know, you know, not, not what you would expect. And I think that's really what threw me off is that, and, and makes it so unsettling is that it's not a wholly dark sort of thing it's not super gritty it's not super real it's just this weird hodgepodge of like uh, you know 1960s like domesticity you know mm-hmm. alongside mm-hmm. you know hey by the way i'm a succubus because i killed myself and i went to hell and um now i'm back right you know and it's this weird unsettling juxtaposition of all of these different things which is why I think, uh, I know some of the people I think on Goodreads kind of felt the writing was, it was okay, it was passable, whatever. Um, I think it's actually doing a very unheralded job here. Uh, mm-hmm. It's very understated. Um, you know, this writer isn't trying to, you know, wax poetic or, you know, put out some sort of Neil Gaiman, you know, uh, sh- showcase or whatever. He, he's just trying to do his job, and I think it it works really well at, at sort of... Yeah just being this undercurrent, you know, it doesn't stand out, but I think it works. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it, one of the things that's, again, similar to Afterlife with Archie is like a lot of the writing and descriptions are sort of very lurid and like purple prose mm-hmm. at times, which I think yes, can yes. be sort of off-putting because it's not a modern way of writing. But yeah, you're right. It fits the tone and the time frame of the story really well. And I know we're focusing on sort of the really like, uh, you know, gruesome elements of the story, but I, I like the undercurrent here of Sabrina is a witch, but she's a teenage witch. And it's about being in high school. And when you're in high school, you have yeah. to pretend to be someone else. Um, yeah. oh, you're sort of maybe yeah. embarrassed by your family. You know, you, yeah. you, you're playing Sabrina says character. hell on earth is, she describes high school as hell on earth for mortals yeah. and witches alike. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it does, yeah. it has that sort of undercurrent. It's like, yeah, I mean, Sabrina stands out from the rest of society, literally, but that's, everyone does that in high school. So I kind of liked, there were hints of that, but it wasn't like a high school, you know, teenage book. There's other things going on, a much deeper story. And, uh, and you know, I read The Crucible in high school by Arthur Miller, and there's a lot of references yep. to that, too. This idea of, like, being ostracized from society and, you know, commenting on the sort of real day-to-day politics of being a teenager um, and also being a witch. I, I like that that was there, but that wasn't pointed out or made the focus of the book. It's there for you to notice it. It's kind of like a background subtext. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. This book is really layered, in a lot of <laughs> yeah. ways. Like, honestly, it's one of those books where there are a lot of things that come and go, and it's sort of a blink, blink and you miss it sort of reference. Um, 
like this book goes so far as to like mention like the reformation and and you know, the salem witch trials and right. the, the, the history of 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 witches throughout like mm-hmm. you know the centuries and attempts to really create a it's like a really quick world building exercise in a way and contextualizing witches on the whole and i was like wow this this guy's actually going to do it like he's yeah. actually going to you know create this more cohesive whole mm-hmm. um and I, I thought that was really interesting, uh, even how he sort of creates this parallel between, like, the like the Reformation for, for, for Christians and sort of, like, the Reformation mm-hmm. of, of these witches and how the witches mm-hmm. have their debate over, like, when does free will exist and when yeah. should you get baptized? And, oh, yeah. And you know, being someone who, you know, studied, you know, theology a bit in, in college, it was really amusing to see them basically create... You know this. Uh, you know it's almost like a Mad Libs. You know they swap out some of the the words where it's like you know the Dark Lord bless and keep you and all of yeah. this and it's like <laughs> yeah. this is yeah. so goofy. <laughs> um, but uh, but it's there. Um, yeah, this book is like uh, some people would say this is like pre- a pretty you know pretty edgy book. Some of the stuff it goes ahead and, and well and does. I, yeah, um, I think part of that's just it's published by Archie and there's that that stigma of like oh it's an archie book it's for kids it's like well no yeah I mean, you can do other stuff with these characters so yeah totally yeah nick i like the what you hinted at there this idea that it's a layered book and there's a depth to the history of these characters they really imply that sir sabrina's a teenage witch so she's really young and not maybe well versed in witch history but her aunts are like hundreds of years old and there's yeah. always these callbacks, like what they went through and uh, the history of her dad. And we find out, you know, he had a he was in love with a witch before he married Sabrina's human mother. And like that, like history gets sort of teased out over the course of the book. So you don't get these big like exhibition uh, dumps of like information, but it's yeah. it's it's easy to follow like what's going on. I like that sense. Like, yeah, these characters have been around for a long time. This isn't a new thing. Witches are a part of our society and part of our culture. We just don't know about them until now. That's kind of the interesting take on it. It really handles the info dumping really, really well. Mm-hmm, like totally. by the end, you're not confused by any of it. But when you finish the book and you stop, you're like. They covered a lot of ground, like yeah. they really did. Yeah. Um, but it's not like, oh boy, here's another, you know, six pages of story. I do love that it has sort of that old school kind of narration feel to the book, where yeah. it'll be like, you know, insert uh, prologue. You know, the year <laughs> is blah 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 blah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And at the end, it says something like "end prologue" in like a little box or whatever. And I'm like, you know, that's kind of like 1960s charming. Like mm-hmm. I really, I liked, I liked the sort of some people might feel the narrated the narration to this book is a little too much um that it's more telling um instead of showing um but as sort of a period piece i sort of like imagined like some like old you know 60 something like british you know formal british narrator you know just going through the whole thing and sort of it being an older <laughs> tale and i i i liked it that way i yeah. i didn't mind that i'm sure some people they're like ah oh, there's there's too much narration but i was okay with it um, yeah, I, I didn't feel overwhelmed by it at all. And in fact, I, I didn't even think that it was like too much of telling, not showing. I mean, honestly, it was it was enough to just set up the scene to say, mm-hmm. and here we are back at the high school, and then they <laughs> would continue. And, and I thought that that worked really well, especially with the, the dates and the flashbacks and stuff. There's no other real good way to do that, um, to, you know, go back and say, well, when Sabrina was 11, this is what happened. It's like, what do you, what else do you do, you know, outside of the characters themselves saying, well, now that you're 11 years old, like, it's kind of a slap right. in the face 
Um, but even even with that, I did find that there was some issues when they did that specific flashback to when she was 11 and they were talking about the baptism and stuff in that issue where she was going to be baptized. Like, I couldn't tell how old Sabrina was, really, <laughs> even though yeah. they had given us a distinct flashback because mm-hmm. this artist I found was, he was really interesting the way that he drew things. It almost felt like he would do illust- he was the type of artist that would do illustrations in a magazine that would go along with an article and it's a lot of still imagery rather than like comic book imagery which kind of has an an a more actionable look to it like something is play is happening rather than like a portrait Mm-hmm. And so to see him do something like this where there were supposed to be action happening, and when I say action, I just mean movement in general, um, it w- was a very interesting take. I think he did some things really well, like the faces of people, specifically Sabrina and Madam Satan. Like Those two faces were very distinct in my head, and I yeah. really enjoyed the way he did that. But then like you'd look at his hands or you'd look at some of the backgrounds, and they were a little bit rougher, but it kind of worked. Like it, it gave this feeling of like, like uneasiness in every scene like everything was kind of wispy and in the background really kind of chilling and i like that i i I really thought he did a good job especially it being his first comic book ever like that that blew my mind (laughs) yeah chilling chilling is a good you've done a bunch of variants up to this point right okay sure like interior yeah work is so different yeah chilling is a perfect way to describe it mike because i was a little thrown off by some of the inconsistencies like sometimes faces looked different from one panel to the next of the same character sure Um, there was like one panel where you could tell he drew veronica's face but it was clearly just uh betty page's face that he copied and there are a few moments like that where i noticed he was kind of which i mean all artists do that that's not uncommon but that Mm -hmm. one like jumped out to me given that the faces could be inconsistent at times But what I really liked was his use of color. And they mentioned in the introduction to the book that it's his first time he's colored his own artwork for a comic. And uh, it's so good. Like, I don't know if he's doing it digitally or physically, but everything, the color washes have a sort of painterly paintbrush stroke to them. Which gives it that that creepy sort of uh, ephemeral sort of feel to a lot of the panels, which, which... even if I, some of the, the the detailed pencil work didn't quite work for me, I would just mesmerize by the his use of color for a lot of these pages and giving a lot of the flashbacks at sepia tone color. I mean, just a very smart uh, and careful use of color that I really appreciated. Yeah, yeah. the The one thing that really got me was there were there was the two there was the cover and then there was the scene where they had eyes in the sky looking above Greendale, mm-hmm. like. That to me, like the way they did the background colors for that, those specific pages and, and that cover and that page, mm-hmm. like really set the tone for like what was going to happen. And I, I don't know what it is, but the way he drew eyes in this book, when he did close up shots of people, was astounding. And that, yeah. like, that took me. And especially in those two specific instances that I'm talking about, like he was definitely like attention to detail on those eyes in a way that made them look lifelike. And I really appreciate that given his um, kind of very variability throughout the book in, mm-hmm. you know, characters and stuff like that, you could show that when he wanted to make a point and he was trying to show something to you, he paid clo- close attention to detail to make sure that you like were in it and were totally absorbed by the image. I really enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. With that, on, on the on the same note for that panel, and I think this is obviously a lesser detail, so if you didn't catch it, um, I, I'm totally not upset, but what really stood out to me in that very panel was, I think it was in the lower right-hand corner, you know, it's a big city shot, it looks like of like downtown 
you know, downtown, and uh, in the lower right-hand corner, there's all these, like, all these little cars lined up, you know, parked, and they're, like, bright reds and bright greens and bright blues, and, like, the whole rest of the page was, like, oranges and blacks and, yeah. and, and yeah. browns, and then you've got, like, this cheerful little, like, sliver of, like, 1960s, you know, keeping up with the Joneses, like, Americana, you know, lined mm-hmm. up along the corner, and it's like, don't forget, this is also part of this book, and I thought that mm-hmm. was a really interesting. Um, yeah. The, you guys are totally right. This was like a tough gig for someone's first interior work. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, like here he is. I've, I've, I know recently, I forget what started it, but there was a whole thing on Twitter about. Um, I think it was because of the whole Riri Williams thing with Iron Man, where it was like, you know, everyone got mad that she like she was being over sexualized with some of the covers they were drawing, and then a bunch of people on Twitter were like, dude, like. This isn't to excuse what happened, uh, because honestly, those covers were over-sexualized, but they're mm-hmm. like, and honestly, that artist, I believe, is known for doing that sort of thing anyway, um, but they said it's really hard to draw teenagers. Like, it's really, really tough. Like, mm-hmm. a lot of artists sure. were like, it's like, to get that right is super tough. Um, you know, that middle spot, obviously. Most people know that in between being a kid and an adult, you're a teenager, so... Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't need to fill anyone in on that, but like they said, like hitting that is tough, and I can't even imagine having to, like, draw... You know, he's drawing Sabrina at, like, like what, like... 16. Pretty much, like, six or seven different ages that are all within two or three years of each other, and he's oh, having true. to put these little nuances on, like, this is, like, 12-year-old Sabrina, and, like, 14-year-old Sabrina, and, like, 8-year-old Sabrina, and, like, God, I mean, s- sure, some of it, some of the faces might look weird, but that must be so tough, <laughs> you know? Um, I think he handled it pretty well. I yeah, mean, I did yeah. say, like, there was some, there was some, you know, toughness in j- telling the difference between 11 year old Sabrina and 16 year old Sabrina, but that was mostly in exactly. just the way, that, like the height that she was drawn and she had the yeah. same face. And it's, it was just like you didn't really get a full grasp on how old she was. But at the end of the day, like when, when they, especially when they sat down at this picnic, because these are like the weird details that I'm remembering. I'm like, oh, that's sure. definitely a small child. Mm-hmm. That's not a teenage girl. Like I can tell the, the distinct difference between those two characters now. Um, but I think, like, yeah, like, to your point, Nick, this is definitely a tough book to start on um, doing interiors when you're trying to draw all this variability across multiple characters. Because it wasn't just it wasn't just Sabrina, but it was also her aunts. It was also her dad. It was also her mom. It was also Madame Satan. It was like all these yeah. characters had variable, like, you had to, t- to be able to tell that they were the same character. But mm-hmm. you also had to know that they were aged or that they were, like acting differently or they were shaped differently because of some circumstance in the book and i i think he he handled it pretty well all things considered (laughs) yeah and they never resorted in and sometimes this like all things in comics sometimes this can be done right but they never resorted in having to just have an entire issue that's dedicated to all right this one's a flashback the whole mm-hmm. thing's going to be a flashback, so you won't get confused. Yeah. Have fun. We know you're really looking forward to this issue. Don't get too excited. Um, and instead, they sort of pace it and, and pad it um, throughout all of the issues. And they transition in and out of past, uh, you know, stories really, really well. And, yeah, sometimes it's because they, you know, upper left-hand corner, the first thing you see is, like, this is September 1st, 1964. Sabrina is, like, 15 at this point, uh, and that's fine. Like, that makes it very, very clear, um, and you know what's going on, and you have a context, and, and it works just fine. Um, and and I, I thought they handled that part really, really well. Um, 
I honestly, uh, I, I wonder if they had to bank up issues, and I wonder if that's possibly why there was such a long break for arc number two. Um, is uh, I, I wonder if this guy is, you know, not able to really meet like a, you know, in 30 days we're going to need another, you know, 26 pages or whatever. Because mm-hmm. um, his art style is such that it, it wouldn't shock me if he, um, you know, it's 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 not like J.H. Williams III, mind you, but it still looks like a very detailed, oriented process. And I'm sure for someone who isn't super acclimated to this sort of schedule it wouldn't shock me if that's why mm-hmm. you know we haven't seen as many issues but i he's he's doing a great job you know not everybody transitions over to interior pencils that well i've seen a lot of cover artists that they switch to interiors and like every page looks like it's got to be like a cover page you know what i mean it's got to like right. be like big mm-hmm. and it's got to be a splash page and it's got to be action and 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 there's you know there are times when you need an image that will make a comic fly off store shelves and there are times when you need an image that actually moves the story you know some of those unsung panels that you know it's a small square and maybe it only shows like a you know a hand motioning to pick something up or whatever but sometimes like that is what you need a million times more than like here's another splash page mm-hmm. right, um, right and i thought he made that switch really really well because there are artists that don't <laughs> there are ones that's like yeah, totally everything totally. has to grab your eyes and it's like i get what you're doing but i'm not feeling a sense of progression from panel to panel anymore it's just like i feel like i'm flipping through a coffee table book you know at this point yeah. So yeah. full credit to to um, Hack, honestly. Yeah. And I got to say, like that, his style, which I thought was a little like stiff at first. Yeah, it, it made that made the last issue jump out to me even more because the last issue is when we get like the, uh, you know, the actual satanic ritual where they summon, you know, Satan himself. And those panels just look so like vivid and like expressive compared to the rest of the book. It makes those panels jump right out. And then, you know, the, the sort of muted colors for a lot of the book. And then those panels when we have like bright red blood all over the place. Oh, the panel where she's stabbing the goat. Yeah. Yeah. Oh Yeah. Definitely I just that I panel. like that dichotomy. It's like you're kind of used to this art style, and all of a sudden it's like well, we're going to get crazy now. Are you ready? And it's yeah, he's able to handle both really well. So it made those that last issue even more jarring, which it was supposed to be. Like I, I think the art and the writing both made that ritual feel uh, forbidden. They keep saying like, totally. yeah, no, no human should see this. And I'm reading the book like, yeah, maybe I don't want to see this. Maybe you I'm know? not supposed <laughs> to be. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. My 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 favorite part about that that rituals uh, issue is the it's like one page. It's like all these women in the coven, and then you turn the page, and it's just all these ghoulish looking witches. Like, and they're all unique, and they're all drawn in the most awful, like grotesque way. Mm -hmm. And they're hunting down, you know, Harvey Kinkle, and I'm just oh, that like blew my mind. I I mean, and if we're gonna talk about the end of this book, I really think we should to to wrap up like the twist of this story totally took me by surprise i don't know i'm mm-hmm. sure that other people probably saw it coming yeah. but you know there's the, always someone willing to say they saw it coming those right people but the harvey up. kinkle I don't want to hear it you know the harvey kinkle sabrina relationship thing i think is a staple of the series right yeah and yeah the fact that he dies and then is resurrected as her dad like blew my mind i didn't like i was like oh maybe they'll bring him back and he'll have like problems and we'll draw that out for the story it's like nope mm-hmm. we're gonna go completely left and we're going to change the story dynamic completely and we're harvey's gonna kill his parents and everything's gonna be awful. already like, did kill one of them 
Well, his mom, his mom killed his dad, and that like blew my mind. That's right. That's right. Yeah. 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 It got so like violent at the end. It just really kind of grabbed me. And uh, you know, as the story's going on, Madam Satan is seeking revenge on um, everyone on Edward, (laughs) on Edward, but also kind of Sabrina. I felt like she was being she was targeting Sabrina, but then there's that shift where she starts to help Sabrina with the help of Betty and Veronica from, from <laughs> yeah. Riverdale, which yeah. is kind of funny. Right. I didn't expect them to be as heavily show up. Like, yeah. can we talk about the fact, like, they're supposed to be in a coven, right? They're supposed to have their own coven. Like, does that coven only consist of the two of them? Is that, like, the joke, or is there actually, yeah. like, a bigger structure? And furthermore, on top of that, like, if they're not supposed to be, like, um... Uh, what do you want to call it? Uh, engaging or you know, uh, engaging in, in, in romantic relationships with with humans. Then, like, how are they not being reported like over Archie? Like, well, how so has here, no one here, like slipped a, slipped a note to the witch council? You know, here's all here's these two. All these two do is go after Archie. Like, it's not subtle. All you have to do is follow him around. You know, I, I think that here's the difference though. What what what's really happening is I think Betty and Veronica are not in a coven. They yeah. are just two witches who both dis- who figured out yeah. they both have witch the equivalency powers. of two teenagers who found a Ouija board, basically. Yeah, right. and yeah, yeah, and yeah. so they've been fig- you know kind of playing with things, and their first big try yeah. at magic is resurrecting the succubus, and, which turns out to be Madame Satan. And so after that, they kind of didn't know what to do, and then they find mm-hmm. out that she's a, she's real, and Madame Satan says, "We're going to start our own coven," <laughs> and that's that was the like that that's what brought them into the fold of like the entire witch culture. I don't think that mm-hmm. they were actually a part of it before that right that's mm. how i read it and yeah. so, the, so the twist there is you have madam satan suddenly helping uh sabrina which i thought was odd i'm like well what happened like i thought she was mm. she was seeking revenge and then so that the the last panel where we finally realize that madam satan was just resurrecting edward in the body yeah. of sabrina's boyfriend it's like oh she that Everything kind of came together for me, even though it's like a big twist ending. It's like, oh, now I can see why Madam Satan was helping Sabrina. She was really not. She's out for herself. Like it, it everything yeah. sort of the the story, the jarring shift in her character suddenly like realized. I I realized it wasn't a shift at all. I guess yeah. I'm trying to say. Yeah, I think that, but that's part of it of the like the witch like coven like just being a witch in general is it's not witch versus witch. It's like woman versus man in some ways <laughs> yeah. like she was definitely trying to say i don't need to attack this this woman who was also a witch i instead actually need to attack the person that actually caused me pain right. which is her father yeah and i thought like to your point paul like it did seem like an odd switch but you're actually you actually understand no no this was her true intention from the beginning yeah can I say just, it's just really, really interesting that, unless I've got this little detail wrong, Sabrina is actually responsible for the events that transpire in Afterlife with Archie, and Betty and Veronica are actually, again, via witchcraft, are responsible for the events that transpire in Sabrina. Right. I mean, you're right. Yeah, that's, right. <laughs> you're right. Doesn't Sabrina kick funny. off the whole thing in Afterlife? Yeah, yeah. She brings she brings Jughead's dog back, and he yeah. he's the first zombie. Yeah, yeah. And and yeah. in this one, Betty and Veronica, because they went and summoned the succubus, they're you know indirectly responsible for what goes down here. So I thought that was kind of a, a weird little twist that I'm sure you know I'm sure the you know writer is more than aware of, but uh, uh, I still thought that was a nice little touch. Um, Here's the real question for this book as it goes into the future. Like, they need to figure something out quick, and maybe they already have, because otherwise, you've got Sabrina effectively dating her dad. I'm just going to say it. Like, <laughs> well, we don't know We don't yeah. know how that's going to play out completely. I mean, and that's the thing. I think I definitely want to read more of this book. 
to see yeah. how things play out because that ending hooked me in more than just the premise itself, like the dark twist on this book. I was way more involved now that I saw the end of this book and the direction yeah. that it was going to go. Yeah, and I get. Yeah, yeah. That's the kind of point I want to make. It is that uh, I'm definitely on board now. As someone that was initially sort of not that interested in the book, having read it and that ending made me want to continue. So I'm definitely going to yeah. follow up on this because I, I think the ending was was perfect and intriguing in a way that uh, that you know it has me on board. I, I know some people on Goodreads were kind of upset about the ending. They felt it was sort of like like a drop off, and for me, it was like. This is this is a cliffhanger. <laughs> this right. is how a cliffhanger works. Yeah. It's yeah. supposed to make you mad. It's supposed to make you frustrated. It's supposed to make you want to know where the next issue is. Um, so as tough as it was, and I'm, this this is just you know this is me admonishing you know um, millennials. I guess like I'm sorry guys. <laughs> like the next issue isn't always going to be you know waiting for you on Netflix or whatever you, to binge watch. You know sometimes you gotta wait. Mm-hmm. Um, waiting is the hardest part, as the song goes. Um, by whoever that was Tom Petty so, uh, and the Heartbreakers <laughs> there you go I just have one last question like of course dad tree or tree dad or whatever yeah. you want to call it mm-hmm. do we ever get like a 100% conclusive answer how he ends up in the tree because I don't know about you guys but like the moment they oh. shift to that panel I'm just like what what I thought I, it was really heavily implied that it was Zelda and the Hilda council? who did it really yeah I because it was sort of implied it was they the council escaped away I thought it was the council that Oh, yeah. okay. But okay. Yeah. I, th- I, th- yeah. I thought it was supposed to be left as a big mystery that well, like, she he had done this. Zelda and, and What's-Her-Face at one point, and they sort of really skirt the topic. Well, which I thought know? was enough implication for them mm. for it to be said that they did it because uh, they didn't okay. want to... They didn't want Sabrina to become um, Edward's vessel. Like, that's the whole reason he had this child was he wanted this vessel. We don't really know what that means. Right. And I, I thought think that's another it thing, must yeah. be, It must be something so bad that these women definitely didn't want that to happen to her because she was another one of the coven, and why would you do that to one of the coven? Mm-hmm. You know, especially right. given why, her, like, insist- Why do you need, like, a human, half-human, half-witch kid to do this? Why can't right. you just get a witch kid to do whatever he needs to do? So and there's right. definitely some other little questions, really. Exactly. That, that and my arise. guess is that's what we're going to find out in subsequent storyline or story parts of this this uh series so yeah. hopefully arc two will come out quicker and we can read more of this book and hopefully for those of you who haven't read the book at all and are still somehow listening to this episode and <laughs> and thinking well geez i've probably heard the whole book like go read it still go read it um it's uh it's it's still just as shocking and interesting and you'll find yourself wanting to know exactly what's going to come next too yeah um and if not mike rappin will pay for your copy of the book. <laughs> um, i mean that's one of those things i mean i i honestly would say i mean like if you can grab this book and you don't like it uh let me know and i will refund you the price that you pay if you have proof of receipt or something <laughs> <laughs> send send mike the receipt in the mail yeah, yeah. exactly <laughs> but this was a good book i think this is a, is a fun spooky book right before halloween um and i think we're going to try to do more of these episodes where we read what's on the Goodreads group, and then talk about it on an episode. Not only to pad out our topic list, but because I think this is a good way for us to actually talk about a book in depth rather than sum up. So I hope I hope you guys enjoyed it or something. I don't know. I hope you two, Nick and Paul, I hope you guys enjoyed reading this. Oh, yeah, I'll enjoy this good. until yeah. someone picks a shitty book. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be all aboard the good times train until we stop at shitty book station uh, so uh it's it's up to you guys really i mean it's it's on you guys uh, yeah so if you're not on the goodreads group i, I will plug it one more time go to goodreads.com search for i read comic books you'll find our group 
Um, I think we're like 60 people strong. So jump on there, give us your commentary, you know, jump on the other threads of random things that we talk about in there as well. <laughs> and uh, hopefully we will, you, you'll be able to directly communicate with us, which is the coolest thing. At least that's what I think, or that's what I, that's what Kate told me I should say. Okay. Um, let me. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just throw Kate under the bus right at no, the end here. Yeah. No, this if is all. I will say, not the ideal experience you wanted. It's it's Kate. I know. I will say, Kate actually, she's the one that runs the Goodreads group religiously, and I have to. I want to say this on the episode. Like I, I'm so impressed with how much work she puts into it. So yeah. if you're not a part of this thing, it's fantastic. Kate does a great job, and I'm try. To, I try to get on there as often as I can. So. Um, I'm hoping we can convince Nick to get on Goodreads, and Paul is on there when he can as well, as well as the other people that are on <laughs> this I podcast. Can, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the I Read Comic Books podcast. The show is produced and hosted by me, Mike Rappin, with editing by Xander Riggs. Special thanks to Nick White and Paul Jaceley. The music in this episode is brought to you by Infinity Shred. You can find Infinity Shred at infinityshred.com as well as on Bandcamp at infinityshred.bandcamp.com. If you enjoy this show, tell someone about it. Rate us online. Write to us. Each person you tell about the show and each rating you give lends a little more exposure to the show and helps us grow. It's also a great way for us to get feedback about the program we create each week for you. Another great way to give us feedback is to take a minute or two to fill out our listener survey at ircb.us survey. Besides answering some questions about the show, we also ask what comics you're reading and which creators are currently your favorite. Or if you're looking to just say hi, you can email us at ircb at destroythesibe.org. And if you want to talk comics with us, find the I Read Comic Books group on Goodreads. We have a monthly book club and we have regular threads about what comics we've been reading. You can ask us questions and comment on each episode at our subreddit at iReadComicBooks.reddit.com. The entire podcast team is on Twitter, and you can follow the show at ircbpodcast. But a great way to experience the podcast, including our back-issue bin of episodes and our weekly pull list posting, is to visit us at our website, ircb.us. Until next time, from all of us here at the podcast, thank you for listening. Yeah, I gotta admit, like, all of this stuff that DC's been rolling out, like, post-Rebirth launch, like, I have not been following or paying attention or getting in on, like, most of it. <laughs> like, all these weird miniseries where they're like, all of a sudden, hey, there's, like, a Midnight or an Apollo miniseries, and I'm yeah. like, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah I know sad. There's been, like, a, a couple of... The Hawkman <laughs> miniseries that just started. Yeah. yeah, 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 there's, like, all of these, and uh, they just show up on the shelf, and I'm like, uh, okay, all right. <laughs> sure. It's interesting. It's like, I, I don't know if DC's trying to, like, copy Marvel and sort of, like, not do the wave thing that they right. did with, with the New 52. Maybe they don't want to yeah. do that anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, well, I just I'm think still it, real yeah. interested to see... Go ahead, go ahead Paul. I, was say, I just think it's smarter to advertise things as being miniseries up front. I mean, I think that was the biggest yes. problem with the New 52. Yes. They launched books that they knew were going to only last eight issues, but they wouldn't just say yeah. it's a miniseries. So. Right. Yeah. Well, well I think on the flip like side... One or two, though. They did that with uh, Grundy, that the Solomon Grundy book oh, that they did. Right. Or no, yeah, no yeah. sorry, the... Uh, Grundy. No. Sorry, Bizarro Superman. What's his name? Bizarro Superman, yeah. Yeah, Bizarro. Oh, with DCU. With DCU, they started doing this, yes. Sure. Okay, yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. 
Now with the new 52. I think my biggest problem, and I'd have to go back and document this, I think I'm not crazy on this, but I honestly feel there have been books where they have been originally marketed and set up as an ongoing, and at some point, it just, all of a sudden, it's a mini. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. Like, out of nowhere. And I'm like, am am I crazy? Like, I could swear... (laughs) This mm-hmm. was an ongoing. And they're like, no, it was a mini. Always, always going to be a always mini. Was. And I'm like, <laughs> and that's not to say that sometimes, like, switching it to a mini is the wrong idea. Um, no. I think probably more times than not, it's a good idea. But mm-hmm. that doesn't change the fact that it sort of comes off as, like, a shock, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, speaking of which, I just got the trade of... Um Omega Men today, so oh yes. boy, yes, 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 can't, oh boy, can't wait to dive into. That. I got that, and I got the new Twin Peaks book, so I'm gonna be very busy reading. Nice. After we get done, what here. is that? Is that like is that that one that was like co-written? I think by like Kyle MacLachlan and you no, know, it's written by Mark Frost. Yeah. It's the secret history oh. of Twin Peaks. It's like called the uh, the history of the town before Laura Palmer gets killed. So it's a big, oh. handsome hardcover book. It's awesome. Can't wait to dive into it. That sounds really cool. Yeah, mm-hmm. that sounds awesome. Uh, Barnes is running a three for two on DC and Marvel right now. Oh, wow. You can mix and match. Um, and I think I looked it up yesterday, and that's running through like January seventeenth or okay. something. Hmm. So that's a pretty sweet deal. And um, obviously, I have a Barnes membership. So if anybody wants in on that, I can just give you like my number or whatever, and you can get another ten percent off whatever. So awesome! It's a very exclusive club. Very very exclusive. <laughs> yeah. See now, I, f- I feel like I need to buy. I need to buy the rest of Vision, and I need to buy the rest of Omega Men, and just sit down on a weekend, probably next weekend, and just read them mm-hmm. both, and then have Nick and Kate on the show that week. And I don't know who's on next week, whatever. But just be like, this was trash. You're both trash. I fucking hated this. Yeah. Why did I waste my time with both of these books? <laughs> yeah. um, and I'll then fight you over. That Omega would be Man. the end. Of Xander the show. will fight you over Omega Men. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I heard that it's good. Yeah, I heard that it's good. It's um, it's it's a little jarring at first, and um, if you know you know a little bit about Kyle Rayner, it'll it'll help. But it's not like a make or break thing, right. especially if you know like what happened to him in the New Fifty Two. Like Paul, do you know anything about? Rayner I know nothing. Vaguely, so he like led up like the whole Spectrum group, where it was like all the different rings. Oh, right. Like it was like a rainbow ring team. And he becomes the White Ranger, which is White Ranger Jesus, um, the uh, no, White no, Lantern. No, Lantern. Keep going with that. That's fine. I, this and, is part of my fanfic. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. God, I don't remember all this exactly because I kind of stopped at this book because I was like, whatever. But um, he becomes the White uh, Lantern and like staves off this like universe destruction surprise, and then just disappears, and everyone thinks that he's dead. Um, and then he shows up in this other universe, and that's, like, that's it. That's it. That's pretty much it. Um, great book. The covers, the covers for that book are so good. Mm-hmm. They look like those, like, 1930s, like, National Parks advertisement, like, big posters you would see, like, from the 30s and 40s. Um, that's probably the best way I can describe it. And covers are great. And it's just one of those books that as long as you're okay with, like, issues and multiple issues that go on where you're like i don't really understand most of this you'll be fine i mean you watch twin peaks so you'll you'll, you'll be fine 
I'm not makes, worried. Makes total sense. Yeah. And now we're <laughs> yeah. <laughs> your your gum of choice is coming back, and oh god, let's just botch that. Yeah. <laughs>